Hello friends, Doug Shadwell here, and welcome again to the Premature Bible Institute. Trust you've had a good week. Uh, I know I have uh, had a great day at Sunday at church today, and it was really an encouragement to me to hear about the authority of Scripture and what it means. Well, here we are uh, quite a ways along uh, with our with our teaching, uh, and the one thing I just, I hope that you're, you're seeing, and I'm you should be without any problem is that God works behind the scenes it isn't that he's trying to to stay behind the scenes it's just he doesn't have to come out into the open he wants us to walk by faith and so he does a lot of things that are going on behind uh, our knowledge our our sphere of understanding working things out according to his plan and uh, it isn't like he has to violate my will or anything like that to to win. He always wins. And uh, we so last week we did a lot about some of the um, uh, review questions for the things that we've learned. And I just want to kind of come uh, up to this a little bit. You know, I love history, uh, but I like especially biblical history because it isn't it isn't so much the events, although they are. They're just as important to me. I just like the name history because it's his story, you know. So that's kind of a nice way of remembering what history is all about. It's his story, God's story of his uh, redemptive plan for mankind and all that he wanted to do for us. So um, in the last couple of few lessons, three lessons, I think it was, we talked about uh, all the attributes of God that we've seen, attributes of man, basically everything from uh, pre-Genesis 1-1 all the way up until um, Joseph and, and finishing that up. And and it just went on and uh, just talked about all the different events that happened. You know, we saw God in eternity past, the creation of the angelic beings, uh, the creation of the physical world, creation of the man, the woman, the um, the fall of man and woman where they sinned and were put out of the garden. And then we saw all the things with Cain and Abel. We saw them with uh, Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, and so on to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And all that went on with that also. And then we see this thing where Joseph, you know, goes into Egypt, and we learned that lesson. That was really like one of my favorite stories in the Bible of a man who really trusted God and saw the future. So looked out and saw something that was going to, that God was going to work things out for good. And he knew that he would because he understood who God was. He really understood God himself. And that was really important. And that's what we were trying to accomplish with these lessons is that you learn who God really is, because that has application to daily life uh, in everything that we do and say. It just If we know who he is and understand that, then that gives us options of things that we can uh, do to bring honor to him. But at the same time, it's, uh, generally speaking, beneficial for our lives, you know, to know that. So, we talked about all that up to uh, Joseph. Now, Joseph has, uh, remember, he sent his family, Jacob, and all their family and all their line, went down to Egypt, and they actually stayed in a place called Goshen, which is right there in Egypt. And so Joseph and Pharaoh and all them took care of uh, Jacob and his family. And then now we're going to continue the story on from there and what happened next. So um, let's just read here in Exodus chapter uh, 1, uh, verses 6 and 7. And it says this, And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. So Jacob and his family go down to Egypt. 
and Joseph and his family are there, and all the brothers and sister and all them were there, and they stayed there. They didn't go back to the land that they that they were born in. They stayed there, and they kept increasing in population, and they became very great and very numerous and very powerful uh, within Egypt. And uh, and so you know, but there did come a, lot, a time, like it says, and Joseph died. You know, so Joseph died, all his brothers, all that generation. So now they're all gone. And a whole new generation of people have come up. They're still Israelites. They're still the line of uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so on. But they're growing in number. And the Pharaoh also, who was with Joseph, that Joseph was under, he also died. He passed away. And then a new Pharaoh came up. And uh, let's see kind of how he looked at things. Now, next is chapter 1, verses uh, 8 through 11. Uh, it says this, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. In other words, I don't think it's just the fact you never heard him. I just don't think that he understood the implication, the the um, consequences of what Joseph's decisions were for that country. And he said to his people, this Pharaoh, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them unless, uh, so that they don't multiply, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. So the people of Israel were there and this Pharaoh, who didn't know Joseph, he didn't understand what Joseph had done, was not appreciative of what Joseph and his family had done. He says, man, there are more people now here in, in Egypt than we are. And he says, and uh, what happens? Uh, we need to deal with this in a very shrewd way. He says, lest they multiply, and it happens in the event of war, if war comes to our country, that they join our enemies and fight against us. And that says, and so go up out of the land. In other words, leave us. So they were very dependent upon the Israelites uh, for the success of their country. They were very, um, uh, and this king became jealous of that, and he was afraid that if uh, they left, uh, if a, a war came, that the Israelites would join the enemies, and then they would leave the land, and there would be uh, Egypt there to do all their own stuff and whatever, and who knows what else would come as a result of that. So what they do? They set up taskmasters. They set up slave masters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And so as a result, the Jews built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. So you hear about the city of Ramses? Those were the Israelites that built that in Pithom. So those are cities that the Israelites built. So uh, we can see where they were really, really strategic in the building of, of making Egypt into a great uh, economic and political and a military power. So they did that. So let me ask you this. He says, this, this uh, pharaoh that comes up that didn't know Joseph, um, who's guiding him to do this? Is it God or is it Satan? Is God guiding him to do this to the Israelites? Or do you think Satan was? Um, who do you think will win in this situation? Do you think God will win? If uh, if he he decides to do all this stuff to the Israelites, or do you think uh, Satan will win? Um, <clears throat> now let me ask you this too: Do you think that this situation took God by surprise? Well, I can tell you emphatically from Scripture that it did not, and here's how I know: Way back in Genesis chapter 15, way back in uh, you know 400 years before this, almost 350, uh, God was speaking to Abraham, and He said this. 
Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And this is even before he's called Abraham. So he's still Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he, talking about God, said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. So what God said to Abram, even before Isaac or Jacob or even on the scene yet, here he is telling what's going to happen, and even certainly before Joseph, and even after Joseph. So here we are about 350 years later that God's telling us, look, here's what's going to happen. Your people are going to go into another country. They're going to be held eventually. Uh, slaves are going to be afflicted for 400 years. And then um, and it's just going to be a bad situation for them. But he says more later on, and we'll talk about that. So this was Satan's plan. So what did Satan decide he was going to do? Remember, in all the different trials and situations that came up, he was trying to uh, work it so that God's plan of a deliverer who would one day come, he was trying to thwart that plan one way or another. First it was with Eve, then with Cain, then uh, all through we see those stories in the Old Testament like with uh, Noah and the Tower of Babel and so on. And all these different things where Satan is really trying to um, mess the whole thing up, gum the whole works up. Uh, but do you think he could do that to God? Well, here's what Satan's plan was. And we read this in Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 12, and we'll go to 22. But the more they afflicted them, talking about the more the Egyptians afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. <laughs> I, I don't understand this at all. That the harder they were, they were uh, punished or whatever, <laughs> that the more they multiplied. So they go figure that one there. But anyway, they grew. And then they, talking about the Egyptians, were afraid of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with great effort. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. In other words, it was rough on them. They were, they were tough. In mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. Those are the things that they really worked them hard for. In mortar, making stuff that binds stone together. In making bricks. And in all manner of service in the field, whether it's crops, whatever. They made them do all the manual labor, no matter what that labor was. Um, All their service in which they made them serve was with extreme difficulty. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was uh, Shipra, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and see them ready to give birth, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. Now this is what we call you know, partial birth abortion here, only they're not partially born, they're actually born. You shall kill them, but if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Okay? But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. 
So that was Satan's plan to deal with this issue, is just kill all the male children. If you kill the male children, all that's left of the women, they're going to, that's the end of the Hebrew race. So that's what he was trying to have done with them. But uh, the women said, no, we're not going to do that. They may have said something to their face, but behind their backs they were making excuses and the women were having giving birth. They were still having the male children. So that's what Satan's plan was, wipe the Hebrew race out and, uh, and just do that. And uh, then the deliverer can't be come along. But see, Satan had a plan there to do that, to stop this whole thing. But God also had a plan. That's what I'm saying. Behind the scenes, you just can never know what God's doing. That's what. That's the advantage of being omniscient, omnipotent, uh, all-powerful, eternal, all these different things that God is. How do you ever win against someone like that? Well, you can't. But people who don't who sin or who rebel against God think irrationally. They really do. So what was God's plan? Well, let's look in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as his wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood off at a distance to know what would happen to him. So what happened was there was this woman, this man who marries a woman, both of the tribe of Levi, marries both of them, or they both get married, they have a child, and it's a son. And this son... Uh, they hid him for three months. And then after the end of three months, they couldn't hide him anymore. He was getting too big or whatever. And so he could, they just couldn't hide him anymore. So what they did is they take, they made this basket. It was kind of like, and he calls it here an ark, which is really a, the interesting word to use for that. But he takes this ark, this this. Uh, basket made of bulrushes, and bulrushes are these uh, um, like cat of nine tails that, are, that you see in a swamp or whatever in the river along the riverbank takes those things and binds them up and then covers them on the inside and out of probably with pitch and tar things like that to seal it so it would be waterproof so it wouldn't leak and then puts it in the bull and it puts it out there in the reeds and then it just starts floating down the river and so this that's what happened and the sister and then they sent their uh their this boy had uh, a sister also, and actually had another older brother too. But this sister, uh, um, by the name of Miriam, as a fact, anyway, she went down the river with him, just watching to see what would happen to that basket. So, you, do you see a pattern happening here? I mean, there's a pattern here. Just think about it. He uses the word ark. So here's this ark. It's a, it's a boat of safety. Do we remember one like that before? Well, of course, that's the one Noah was in. Remember what he said that he uh, uh, sealed it with? He said, with pitch and so on. So here's all this stuff that's made uh, to cover this ark and to seal it in so that the child wouldn't die, and then it starts floating. It wasn't like it had a motorboat or anything like that. It was just floating down the river. And in the case of Noah, it floated on top of the water. So he covered it with asphalt and pitch. But both of them were meant for the same purpose. Both of them were meant to save the line of the deliverer. They were to protect that line so it would continue on. So, and then uh, that's pretty neat with God's plan, but his plan gets even better yet. So here we go in verses 5 through 10 of chapter 2. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. 
and her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, so this is uh, this baby's sister. She's going along with it and says, Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. So here it is. The baby's mother, uh, this woman, this Levi woman, she is the one that's going to be coming and nursing her own child in Pharaoh's court, which is just amazing to me. When called child's mother, then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son." So she called his name, talking about Pharaoh's daughter, called him Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. That's what the name Moses means, from the waters. So just think of the irony of this whole thing. I mean, it's just something. Here, uh, uh, Pharaoh wants to kill everybody. Well, here, let me just read some ironies I wrote down here about God's plan versus Satan's plan. Now, Satan wanted to stop the line of, of the deliverer. Well, God wanted to keep it going. All right? Satan raised up a new leader in Egypt. God raised up a deliverer in Egypt. All right? Um, Satan wanted the Israelites to obey Pharaoh. God wanted them to obey him, and they did. All right? Satan wanted to enslave Israel. God wanted to set them free, and he would. Uh, Satan wanted to kill all the male children. God wanted to save them. Satan wanted the Nile to kill the children. God wanted the Nile to deliver a child to Pharaoh's household. <laughs> it just makes me laugh thinking about it. Satan wanted Egypt to enslave people. God wanted to use Egypt to deliver a people. So he was, even though Israel or Egypt wouldn't be the primary deliverer of the thing, but still he was, Egypt was instrumental in this whole process. Not of their own choosing, it's just like God's choosing. Satan always plans to win. Satan always loses. God always plans to win. God always wins. And that's what we see. And I just think that's such a neat thing. Just watch God win time after time after time after time after time. It just never stops. He keeps winning. So um, so now Moses is in Pharaoh's household, and he's learning uh, a lot of things, uh, probably warfare, all the different things. Whatever rights Pharaoh's daughter had with uh, Moses, uh, those were conver- uh, conveyed to him. But we know he was uh, taught well and so on. But Moses grows up, and as he grows up in this household, he gains prominence and so on. Then there comes a point here where um, in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, we see Moses becoming of age and sees what happens here. And he's about 40 years old at this time. It says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and he looked that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So he buries him in the sand, okay? And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, 
Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, in other words, the other Hebrew man he was talking to, he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So you see the situation. There's this one incident where as he gets older, and he's evidently a pretty powerful man. I don't know how powerful, but pretty powerful. And he goes out and he sees somebody killing or working on uh, uh, beating the Hebrew people, and it was an Egyptian, and so he kills this Egyptian, you know. <clears throat> but notice this here, it says, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Now, you need to understand something. This is firsthand knowledge. Moses is writing his own story. This is his testimony. So Moses is telling you the story from uh, of the actual event that happened at that point. So Moses said... <clears throat> And he's telling you that he went out and he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. But he also, remember this, he says he was be, uh, um, the Egyptian, he says, was beating one of his brethren. So he knew that he was Hebrew at this point. He wasn't like he was deceived and thinking he was Egyptian. He knew he was a Hebrew boy. And so um, uh, he kills this Egyptian. And then the other guy, he, he the, thought he should have known something. Um, when he confronted the, I'm sorry, let me stop. He goes back the next day, and he sees this Hebrew, two Hebrews fighting each other, and one's beating on the other one. He says, "Why are you doing this?" And he says, well, "Well, who are you to judge me?" He says, "Are you my, you know, almost like what Cain said? Are you my brother's keeper?" And so um, he knew at that point that this thing is known and it's going to get out. You can't hide secrets like this. And sure enough, that's what happened. Pharaoh heard about it. And he sought to kill Moses. So he knew. But you know what? It's the interesting thing is that by this time in his life, he already knew that he was going to be the one to deliver Israel. He knew it already. How do I know that? Well, let's just go look at a chapter in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7. This is where Stephen is getting stoned. And uh, by stone, I hope this uh, to whoever's listening to this, I'm talking about he gets uh, killed by people stoning him to death. So anyway, um, in Acts chapter 7, verses 23 through 25, it says this. Now when he was 40 years old, talking about Moses, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Okay? So Moses is one to go out and visit his relatives, people, his people. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. And then he says this. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. See, by this point, Moses already knows he's going to be the deliverer. He doesn't know how it's going to be done, but for whatever reason, somehow this has been revealed to him, uh, and God has revealed it some way, whether personally or by somebody else, I don't know. But he knows he's going to be the one to do that. And he thought his brethren, all the Hebrew people, would know this also. He says, but they didn't understand. So they didn't understand what was going on. So as a result of that, uh, Moses had to flee for his life, and he went to the land of Midian. Now, isn't that interesting that he goes to the land of Midian? And Midian is the place where what? Joseph was taken. Uh, he was taken by Midianite traders, and they were. he was taken into Egypt, and now God's going to use 
uh, a man who's in Midian to deliver Israel. Uh, so it's kind of neat how that happened. Um, <clears throat> the problem was Moses didn't wait for direction from God. He took this matter into his own hands. It may have been for good intentions, but his timing was way off. And so he didn't, do, uh, he didn't ask God's opinion on what should happen. So what would Moses do now? Is it all over? I mean, as he's sitting there thinking, man, I thought I was going to be the one, and now it's all blown. What do we do, you know? Maybe he's thinking of the story of Jacob where Jacob was wrestling with the Lord, and now maybe he's thinking God is done with him. Who knows what he was going through and thinking, but I sure had to be bummed out over the whole thing. So um, so would Satan win this time? Is this finally? Ah, finally, finally. I got God on it. I just... I stuck it to him, you know. Okay, in Exodus chapter 2, verses 16 through, 20, through 22, it says this. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Now this is, remember, he's left Egypt, he's sitting at that well in Midian, and now it's continuing on the story. So he's sitting there at the well, he's talking about these women, these seven daughters of a, of a man of Midian there, and they came to draw water, and they filled their troughs, and they filled their the troughs to f- water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. So the, all the work that the women did, the men pushed them away and says, "We'll take the water instead." But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So Moses came to their defense and helped them out. When they came to rule their father, he said, "How is it that you have come so soon today?" In other words, he knew how long it took for the ladies to feed the. Uh, or to water the flocks and everything, and they're back a lot quicker than they thought they were going to be. And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of shepherds, of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. In other words, this guy says, What is wrong with you girls? Don't you know anything about hospitality? Get this man, bring him here. We want to feed this guy, take care of him. He's done a really, really good thing for us. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, or Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And she bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. So he stayed there in Midian uh, with that family, and that man gave one of his daughters, Zipporah, uh, to Moses as a wife. And they both had a child, and his name was Gershom. And uh, because the name Gershom is, I'm a stranger in a strange land. So that's kind of this whole thing. So he's right there. And um, it was just kind of interesting how that happens. Now, let me ask you something in a God versus Satan sort of uh, thing. If Satan would just persist, do you think he could ever win at least just one time? That's the question. Do you think Satan could win even one time? Do you think maybe that's what he's going to do? Man, if I, if I just hang in here tough, eventually I'll at least win one, one battle. But you know, if Satan wins one battle, he's won it all. And that's the point. So... We, like the children of Israel, have been held captive by Satan, and we need to deliver just like the Israelites do. See, Satan could, you know, that's the thing about us. If he can just keep persisting at us, man, he can get us to, to crack. But we have to trust the Lord, just like uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob did. And Moses is going to have to learn to trust the Lord, and it's going to take some time. And so that's what he's going to do. And God always wins. That's, the, like I said, the advantage of being eternal. 
He sees everything. Not just that he sees what's going to happen. He's there already. He's in eternity past and eternity future. He knows all that's going to happen. So we want to uh, just keep trusting the Lord. God gave us his written word, uh, a record of, of this situation. He wanted us to understand what he's trying to do so that we can evaluate our world around us also. See, all of these stories are not just meant for to be stories that we can tell little children and so on. They're not like fairy tales. They're actual historical events that God wants us to know about so that as we look at those, we identify with them also. Just like the children were in bondage to slavery, we've been in bondage to Satan. We've been in bondage to sin. And God wants to deliver us. Now, for a lot of us, we have been delivered from that. But sometimes, even when we get delivered, uh, we don't remember and we, we forget. And we'll see more of that as time goes on. So uh, we need to rely on him to deliver us, not only just for salvation, but for everything. To deliver us from the, the power of sin over our lives. And we need to do that. Remember, this is important. God is God. And we are not. And it's always that, uh, that thing that we need to remember. God is God. And whatever he is, he is all of the time to an infinite degree. So let's just trust him, okay? So uh, if you have friends that want to listen to these um, podcasts, be sure to uh, let them know about it. And there'll be some credits at the end. They'll tell you where to go. If they want to watch the video podcast, just go have them go to... Um, um, I'm sorry, uh, Doug Scheibel, D-O-U-G, space, and then S-C-H-A-I-B-L-E. And then if they want to listen to the audio podcast, just go to the Premature Bible Institute on their favorite podcast app, and they should be able to find it. It's on Apple iTunes, and I think it's on Google Play, um, and CastBox or Overcast Play. Uh, different ones have that, and you can find it on there. This is pretty interesting. I, I just think that there's going to be a series of stories here, events that are going to be coming up, and they're very, very important for us to understand. So God, remember, already he's fulfilling what he told Abraham he was going to do 350 years before. Just think, that's older than our country is, you know? Our country's not even 350 years old. So it's like God talking way back there and telling us, yeah, Doug, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be uh, developing some podcasts in the future. But it's going to be 350 years from now. So what? You know, okay. Uh, so anyway, but that's what God is doing. He's starting this process out. So Moses is 40 years old when all of this happens. And so there's an extra 40 years on to that 300. So we're about 390 or whatever, close to that. And uh, then we're going to be coming up to some more uh, stuff here uh, next week. So take care. We'll talk to you next week. And thanks again. Bye.